And we've been looking at this idea of church as a, as a family and church as an army and, and that an army and a family are messy. Like we might see people in an army uniform all polished and brassed up and in regiment, but really an army's made to fight and battles are messy and horrible. But we're on the front line as a church, as God's people, as God's redeemed. We're called out to be warriors for Christ. We're the front line of the kingdom of God. If we're not advancing the kingdom, then the kingdom's not advancing. And it's forcefully advanced by people that lay hold of the truths of the kingdom and step out in faith and do things way beyond their own capacity, trusting in a God for whom nothing's impossible. We're the army of God. We're the resistance movement. If we don't stand against injustice, who's going to? If we don't have a voice for the marginalised and the broken, who's going to? So we are an army, and we're the ones who are supposed to be fighting the good fight, not beating people up with our fists and shooting them, but loving them beyond what is natural and normal to the point where we draw them into the kingdom of God because of the love that we show to them. We're We're a church that's an army, and we're all supposed to be fighting in the way that God's called us to fight, somehow, somewhere, in some way. We're also a family. We're brothers and sisters. You've never met these people up the back before, but they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. (laughs) Your bond with them is stronger than your bond with your blood brothers and sisters because you're united in Christ. You're co-heirs in the kingdom of God. And so we're called the ecclesia, the ones that God has called out to be the family of God. It's an amazing thing to appreciate that we could get on a plane right now, fly to any country in the world, step into a church group where Christians are gathered, and guess what? There's a bond. That's a supernatural bond because we're in the same family of God. We love the same Father. We're united in Christ. The same Spirit is alive in us. So we're church as a family, but we're also church as a hospital. And hospitals Although they try to be clean and sterilized, they're actually pretty messy places. You get down in the basement where they wash all the laundry or where they throw out all the bits and pieces that they cut and, you know, whatever. It's actually a messy place, even though we try to make it a nice place. And and the church is very much like that. So much of our ministry, so much of Jesus' ministry, the apostles' ministry, ministry today is all about healing. It's all about making sick people well. It's all about lives that are transformed and renewed and made whole. And we're all on that journey of healing. We're called to be ministers to the brokenhearted. You don't have to get very far to see brokenhearted people. Cheryl and I have had the wonderful privilege of catching the train into the city for the last three Fridays. And I tell you, you get a snapshot of what chaos the world is in just sitting on a train. I take my head off to guys like Matt that do it every day and Brett that have been doing it all their life. But if you sit and watch people and listen and observe, you can see the sickness. You can see the deadness in their eyes. There's no life in them. We're people that are called to impart into that or break into that and bring life and bring healing and bring wholeness and bring truth and bring Physical restoration, bring mental restoration, bring restoration to people's hearts and emotions where they're crippled and broken. We're a hospital. We're healers. 
Every one of you is a healer. You have the capacity to bring the kingdom of God and all that the kingdom offers into somebody's life and bring healing. You don't need to go into to get a doctor's degree to do that. You get that when the Spirit of God becomes part of your life, you're ready-made to be a healer. And that's a truth that the church has got to get a hold of, that we are church as a hospital where people should come and find restoration. Now, we've all found that because we're saved. We know that we are eternally healed. We have that relationship restored. But every one of us is still on a journey We're still learning things. Why are we here today? Partly because we're trying to glean more truth and know more things. Well, if we knew everything, we wouldn't need our minds healed or renewed or more truth to be revealed to us. So we're still on a journey of recovery and wholeness, but we're also called to bring that reality into people's lives. So there's physical healing. There's people in this room today that their bodies are sore or broken or battered that need physical healing. There's a world out there. There's a world out there that is hurting so much physically. There are people that are crippled and need the touch of God on their lives. There's so many mindsets in our nation that are darkened. You know, just just have no concept of what God's truth is and what God's perfect plan is. They're living in darkness. Who's going to bring light? Who's going to shine a light into that darkness so that there's some revelation. When we were sitting in our adoption classes that Cheryl and I adopted a couple of kids and we have to go through a DHS process and they were talking about how wonderful it's going to be when same-sex couples can adopt children. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think that's wonderful at all. Will I say something or will I jeopardize my adoption by keeping my mouth shut? And those days are coming where you and I are going to have to make a choice about where our allegiance is and where true healing can only come when we're willing to speak truth and when we're willing to step into a broken, hurting world and move in the opposite spirit to provide an alternative. There's so many people out there that are emotional wrecks, that have addictions, whose lives are just in torment, and people, you can see it in what society is trying to cling on to, that we're on a slippery slope to nowhere. It's getting dangerous. And there's obviously people that need deliverance. Their spiritual being has been overcome. There's so much um, demonic stuff that happens in our nation, but we all put it in the too hard basket or we ignore it, but it's there. And who's going to bring a change? If it's not you and me, who's it going to be? It'll be the Reiki experts or it'll be the, you know, it'll be somebody else who'll come and bring the world a solution. But the only real solution is, is if the church is a hospital and we go forward in faith that we can heal. I want to share with you a story today that I think gives us some insight into this. And we need to read the verses preceding the real story to get an inkling of what was really happening. As Jesus approached Jericho, it's Luke chapter 18, this will be. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what's happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. 
And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Here was a man that was blind, sitting on the side of the road, who knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Son of David. That's why he cried out to him, because he knew that he could heal him. And he cried out, Lord, heal me. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. Isn't it obvious? I'm blind. Jesus said, your faith made you well. So we see physical healing straight away. This man already knew who Jesus was. There was no doubt about his salvation. But what happened was, because of that first healing, when all the people saw it, they started to praise God. So this blind man outside the the city of Jericho suddenly gets healed and the healing reverberates right through the community and suddenly everybody wants to come and see Jesus. When the power of God comes and there's miracles, then what's going to happen is that the society is going to ask what's happened. Why? They're going to begin to look. And that's what Zacchaeus did. He wanted to go and see who Jesus was. Jesus was passing through Jericho. He didn't go there specifically to meet Zacchaeus. He took an opportunity that opened. And so Zacchaeus is touched by God. So the physical healing of the blind man sparked interest throughout Jericho. And I think... It's very similar to our lives that there's opportunity every day for us in the ebb and flow of just ordinary lives for us to bring the supernatural, for us to bring that opportunity to pray for people. Jesus wasn't looking for the blind man at the side of the road, but people in your everyday life are going to say, well, I've got this ailment or I've got this infirmity or I've got this issue. There's your cue. There's your opportunity. Are you willing to say, I believe God can do something for you. Would you let me pray? Because if you truly believe that you have healing hands, God's healing hands, then there's no reason why God can't touch that person. It's just a question of your faith and being sensitive to what the Lord's leading you to do. That's the first point. The miraculous is part of our everyday life if we let it be. Now, Jesus was passing through. He wasn't on some crusade to find Zacchaeus, but when he saw him, he made time for him. He wasn't so busy on getting to his destination that he couldn't change his plans, and he said, I'm going to stop, and Zacchaeus, I'm going to have lunch with you today. 
I'm going to come and dine with you. It's interesting, isn't it, that Zacchaeus, the word, the scriptures just say that Zacchaeus wanted to know who Jesus was. We don't know how much he really knew. We know the blind man knew who Jesus was. He called him son of David. We don't know what Zacchaeus's background was, but he was inquisitive enough that he wanted to climb a tree so he could see Jesus. And most of us are taught in Sunday school that Zacchaeus was this poor little short man who had a problem that he was tiny and that's, you know, that was his big deal and he had to climb the tree. That wasn't Zacchaeus's issue at all. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his nation. He was a thief. He was a scammer. He was ripping everybody off in his community and everyone hated his guts. Not because he was small, because he was a devious man. He'd chosen a career to rip people off and he knew it. That's why everyone despised him. That's why when Jesus went to have a meal with him, everyone said, why are you going to his place? He's a rip-off merchant. But isn't that exactly the point that Jesus uses, that he goes to the one place in that community that would be the last person on the list to go visit? Jesus picks him out because he's the most despised, the most rejected, the guy with the biggest self-esteem issues. Jesus says, I'm coming to your place, Zach. I'm going to dine with you. What an amazing choice that Jesus made. Now here, there's an interesting thing. Jesus is walking along and he says to this guy sitting up in the tree, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place. Did Jesus know who he was? He knew exactly who he was, right? But how did Zacchaeus, what was his reaction when Jesus called his name? There'd been no prior introductions. It would be like you and I on our way to the football and God prompts us to say, go and pray for that person. And I walk over and I say, Sally, don't you think you're going to get that person's attention straight away if something prophetic happens in the life of that encounter? I think that's why Zacchaeus took up and took notice because suddenly he's like, this guy knows something more about me than everybody else. He exposed him just through the prophetic word just through a word of knowledge. And I think that's a significant key for us in evangelism, especially in modern evangelism, where there's no Christian framework. We don't live in a Christian era. We don't live with a Christian framework where if you start talking to people about Christ, they'll know who you're talking about. You walk the streets of Fiji and you talk about Jesus and the Lord, yeah, everybody knows. You talk about Jesus and the Lord in Australia, nobody knows. Nobody knows but the prophetic will break through those barriers. The supernatural will be what people will sit up and take notice of. If we're spiritual beings in tune with the Lord, then those things will happen. You'll know there'll be a prompting. The Lord will say, go and pray for that person. They're not doing so well. Oh, Lord, will I? Take the step of faith and go and be obedient and see what God does when he gives you those promptings. So I think. There's something very significant that we need to ask ourselves about the choice that Jesus made to be in in Zacchaeus' life. We could ask ourselves the same question. Who's in your life and who's in my life that society would say don't have anything to do with? Because if the church is all about like-minded people that we can get along with, that we understand, then we're not the church of Jesus Christ. The church that we should be is that there is this constant struggle in our lives 
to get to know people that we don't quite get along with or who rub us up the wrong way or whose society, you know, says leave them alone. Now, on my joyful train trip on Friday morning, we got on the train with a bunch of young people that were going to Planet Shakers and uh, we set up this end of the, the carriage and a family came and sat behind us and four of the kids, I think there was five, but four of the kids were on the spectrum somewhere because they did not stop talking from the moment they sat down behind us and they were at each other the whole time. It was just this constant barrage. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I'm so embarrassed. These people didn't have any social cues about what you would talk about on the train in front of a whole lot of strangers. And I, was, I couldn't see them because they were behind me, but I'm just sitting watching the body language of everyone else in the train. And people are going... And the kids are arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing. And then the mother at the end goes, I've had enough of you kids. If you don't stop this, I'm going to, in front of the whole church, I'm going to pull your pants down. I'm going to smack you. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, I just want to get off this train. If that's the representation of what the church is saying is good and normal, we're in big trouble. But I was wrestling with the thing inside of me that was saying church people have to be perfect and they need to know better, and the other part of me that was saying, but Mark, these are people that need compassion and they need your love and understanding. There was this wrestle going inside of me because I'm saying the church should be a place where there's rules and regulations and everybody should know what's right and we should be proper. And then there's other part of me that was saying, Mark, you still don't get it. You still don't get I came to seek the lost and the broken not the good and the righteous. And I wrestled with that all the time. And I found myself being judgmental instead of being compassionate and empathetic. And I said, God, I'm in danger of being a Pharisee if I begin to be like that. Because notice in this story, the moment that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, I don't think he suddenly got great credibility in his community. I think the people probably hated him even more for being so two-faced, even though he gave them back their money. You can imagine the Pharisees even despised him even more. He would probably got even more ostracized than he had been before. But that not that the dilemma that we face in our community, in our nation, that if we're going to be healers, we've got to get into the mess. You can't deal with the mess at a distance. You've got to be in people's lives you're going to be in people's lives that rub you up the wrong way and they're going to press all those buttons in you that go, this is not right, this is not proper, this is socially awkward. But isn't that what Jesus did? He went to the most awkward person's place and didn't stand there at the front door and read out his list of rules. He just said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place, mate. Suddenly Zacchaeus goes, you're coming to my place? Guess what? I better forgive the. I better give you back the money I ripped off you and ripped off you. There was no great judgment. There was no great, you know, lording it over him. Just the beautiful place of Jesus' presence and willingness to be in that man's life. The rest of it fell into place. And you go for it. That's all right. Um, but I think the 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 beautiful thing that happened was um. As because we're sitting and we're watching everybody's body language, and everybody's probably a bit like Mark, you know, it's embarrassing. You can see that there's meant to be this train etiquette, and everybody's supposed to just be doing their own thing in their own space. 
and these kids are in everybody's face and everybody's space. Um, but what happened was God actually used these kids to break down what I saw, that train culture, because very quickly these children were making connections with people on the train and there was a lady sitting opposite them who chose to communicate with them. Um, I had earphones in and I couldn't actually hear what was going on, but what I noticed was as I was looking at the people opposite me, their faces were changing and they were beginning to smile and laugh a little bit. And I thought, oh, I wonder what's going on. So I took my earphones out because I wanted to then hear what was happening. And these little kids, these this one in particular, had no idea how they were affecting everybody else around them and that God was using this one to affect those people and initially I thought, are they laughing because they're laughing at this child? But no, they were laughing with, with them because they were getting the joy that was actually in that child that was being given out to others. So I thought it was an amazing testimony of God. Just thought I'd add that bit. She asked, she asked the lady sitting opposite her, was she married? And did she have children? And she said, no, I live with my mum and dad. And she's like do you want me to pray that God will find you a boyfriend? <laughs> and then she's talking about her mum. She says, my mum needs a boyfriend. She really needs a man in her life. And she was just asking all these inappropriate stories. But she godified it. She wasn't ashamed to talk about the Jesus that she loved, even though there's some mixed up stuff in there. She actually preached to the whole train in her own way. It was really exciting. Do you know who this guy is? I love this story. The guy on the right is actually the same guy as the guy on the left. His name's Jeremiah, and he was called to be the pastor of a new church. So what he thought he'd do was dress himself up like a bum and turn up at the church just before he officially started as a bum. And he made sure he had urine on him and he smelt, and, and he turned up at the church that he was about to pastor just to see what the reaction would be. Everybody ignored him. In fact, he got asked to leave. And so the next week he turns up as the guy in the left and says, guess what? I was here last week. And everyone's like, no, you weren't. You weren't here. He's like, yes, I was. Remember that bum sitting up the back? You asked to leave? That was me. What sort of church do we want to be? What sort of hearts do we want to have? If we're truly going to be like Jesus, then those stereotypes and those things in us that grate and say that we can't, we've got to pull those barriers down and say, yes, Lord, I can, and yes, Lord, I will. Now, I reckon Zacchaeus was, chose to be a tax collector because of his stature. I think if he went back into his adolescence or childhood, because he was small, he probably got teased or taunted or... And he made a choice to take on a career that gave him power and prominence. But isn't that like so many people today? You, you know there's a reason why they are who they are. But it's getting to that root cause and loving them there like Jesus did. Jesus didn't judge him. He just said, I'm going to have dinner at your place today. The amazing thing that I think we can get out of this story today is that Jesus knows our name. Like Zacchaeus, for all his problems, whether he was short, whether he was a, you know, a thief, whatever he was, Jesus knew him. 
Just like that $50 bill, Jesus knew he had value. And everybody that we meet, whether they're sitting on a train on the way to the city, or whether they work for DHS or whatever scenario that you and I find ourselves, we've got to see people as valuable, as priceless, as an opportunity for us to bring the kingdom, whether it's in warfare, whether it's in friendship, whether it's in healing, there's always going to be opportunity if we're looking for those opportunities. And Jesus didn't set out to find Zacchaeus, but he saw an opportunity. He didn't set out to heal a blind man, but he heard a voice calling him. And we're going to have those opportunities that are on the fringe of our life. It's whether or not we're going to choose to step in and trust that God can do something special. So he does know our name. No matter how lost we are, no matter how significant we are, you know, no matter how far away we feel like we are from God. And Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to even see, and we all know what that's like standing in a crowd where you can't see what's going on. You just want to be there. But Jesus picked him out. And I think we've got to remember for our own lives, there's never a place or a point where Jesus can't see us. No matter how far small in stature we feel or how broken we feel, he's always got his eyes on us. There's never a moment where Jesus takes his eyes on us, even if we don't think he can see us. He still sees us. We've got to trust in that fact that God is always looking. But I think that gives us an incredible platform to know that everyone that we're looking at on that train, God knows. And God knows a window in, and he knows a way in, and he knows that we can be part of their life. And so that's the challenge for us, isn't it, as healers. If we're going to be a, a church, we've got to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for that people's lives and he'll give us the doorway in. The church is not a museum for good people. It's a hospital for broken people on a journey to wholeness. And that journey will take us a lifetime. Every one of us needs healing. There's not one person in this room today that's got it all together. We're still on a journey. We've still got to strive to be whole in God. We've still got to learn more truth, more revelation, be on that journey. But that never forfeits us from being a blessing and a minister. You know, often when you're dealing with people that have been, you know, through difficulty, divorce or things like that, they always struggle with getting to the point of giving back because they've always been in a needy place needing counsel, needing help, needing reassurance. They're, they've been battered and bruised, and, and they get into this cycle where all they do is take. They come and take from the church, and when the church isn't giving them what they want, they move on. But we've got to be givers. Even if we're still broken and we're all still broken, we've got to be givers. We've got to take with this hand and give with that hand. We've got to pour our lives out on the needy and the broken and the marginalized. That's the lesson the church has got to learn. That's when we'll really be the church of Jesus Christ, when we seek out the Zacchaeuses, the guys that the world doesn't want to know. That's when we'll truly be the church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you that every one of us has a testimony that says we know the moment when you spoke our name. We might not have been a tax collector up a tree. We might have been a, an accountant in an office. We might have been a lawnmower mowing lawns. We might have been a housewife just doing dishes, but there was that time when we heard Jesus saying, Mark, 
I want to come to your place and I want to live with you. I want to walk with you and I want to be your God and your King. Lord, I thank you that every one of us can lay claim to that intimacy, to that personal quest of yours to be part of our life. And Lord, my prayer is that we would understand that there's a world out there of people that are just waiting to hear your voice. And they may not turn up in church. And they may not go to Planet Shakers. But they may be on the train with us. And they may be in our office. Or they may be over the back fence. Or they may be where we get our car serviced. But Lord, there are people that want to know what they don't already know. They want to know who Jesus is just like Zacchaeus did. And Father, I pray that you would train us and equip us not just to be people that sit and take and live out of tradition, but I pray, Lord, that we would be people that live in the moment, in the journey of our lives, Lord, that we're ready, ready to change plans, ready to shift gears, ready to step out in faith, ready to step over the margins of society and reach into people's lives and love on them. Father, I want your forgiveness for those times in my life when I've looked at people and I've said I'm better than them or I'm more together than them or my goodness is rated so much higher than their goodness because, Lord, you said there's none that are good. And, Lord, I want to pray that in our hearts that you would give us greater compassion, greater, greater empathy, greater understanding of what it's like to be Christians in a non-Christian world and how in our society, God, we can raise up a standard, we can raise up a banner of love and truth. And, Lord, it's always going to be messy. But I praise you for the mess. I thank you, God, that you've taken all our lives and begun that healing process. And, Lord, help us to turn our hearts inside out and our lives inside out to be givers and give our lives away for your kingdom, we pray. Thank you, Lord.